I am your host, Michelle, and I'm so happy to be here. As always, I appreciate you. So lots going on this week. Um, This is Sunday, March 7th, so I'm super excited to share updated news. But first, I just want to get some housekeeping things out of the way. I want to thank you. Um, Several of you have gone out to the website, DisneylandDevoted.com, have registered for the site, are being active out there, and that means a lot to me. So thank you. I appreciate that. If you haven't done so already, would love to have you come out there. There's polls where you can give us your opinion, quick hit opinions on different things. There's forum questions where you can give us maybe more lengthy opinions on things. Would just be great to have you out on the website, so thank you. Also, if ever you're interested in interacting with me, you want to send me a note, you want to be a guest on the show, you want to share a story, love to hear from you, you can reach me at Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, at DisneylandDevoted.com. Those links are always in the show notes, so or the description rather. I think that's probably the right term. You can find my email link there. You can send me a note anytime. So with that, let's move into the exciting news that came out this last week. Yay! Disneyland and other California theme parks might be, op- be able to open as soon as April 1st. Oh my gosh, that is such exciting news. That's like three weeks away. That is so exciting. Now, let's be fair. This is step one. I mean, this is baby step one. So what I'm reading is that it would be very limited capacity, likely open only to California residents. And I'm speaking strictly about Disneyland right now. And the attractions that would be open would be those that are outdoor attractions. Um, I did read that if they briefly go inside and come back out, that may be okay. But let's talk about some of those attractions that are outside attractions that you might be expecting to be able to ride. So on the DCA side, Incredicoaster's outside, the Grizzly River runs outside. There's a lot of rides at Cars Land that are outside, like Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. I think that's what it's called. That's completely outside. Um, I'm just in my mind. I'm just walking through the different places. There's a couple of Ferris wheels on Pixar Pier that are outside. And there's like the... Um, the swings, the symphony swings, I believe they're called, and a few other things over there. Um, the jumping jellyfish, oh my gosh, that's like one of my favorites. I know, I'm five. And um, so there's a lot on the DCA side that are out, that is outside. The um, Redwood, I always get tongue-tied on this. Redwood Creek Challenge is also outside, so there's a lot to do on the DCA side. Uh, what What's not gonna be open are things like Soarin', um, because that's 100% inside. Uh, Ariel's Undersea Adventure. I'm not sure about Radiator Springs Racers just because it is um, inside a lot in the beginning before it goes outside for that roller coaster side of the ride. So I just would be 
I'd be surprised if that one was open right out of the gates. Um, and then, like, Mike and Sully's Adventure, the Monsters, Inc. ride, that's completely inside. You know, the Imagineers piece where you can draw, those kinds of things, those are all inside. But there's a lot on the DCA side. Over on the Disneyland side, things that would be outside, I would imagine the Matterhorn would be open because there's only small parts where you go inside and it's not really inside. It's like cavernous, right? But yet it's open on both sides. So I have a feeling that would be open. Um, the Carousel and Fantasyland, the Storybook Land Canal Boats, um, the Autopia would be open, I would think, because that's all outside. Um, gosh, I'm just walking around in my head through these things. Uh, the Mark Twain or the Pirate Ship, the um, Tom Sawyer's Island. Um, gosh, that's... I, I, I think... Right now, off the top of my head, those are the ones that stand out as outside that you'd be able to ride. What I don't think you'd be able to ride right out of the gates are going to be things like Space Mountain, completely inside. Um, any of the things at Galaxy's Edge are inside, like Rise of the Resistance and um, the uh, one that's escaping me right now. For some reason, I cannot think. But the uh, the first one that came up over there in Galaxy's Edge, the, where you ride the... Um, oh my gosh, hold on one second. Okay, so I could not think of Smuggler's Run to save my life, so I had to quickly look that up. Those are inside um, Splash Mountain's inside, Winnie the Pooh, Pirates of the Caribbean... Um, it's a small world like those are all inside so it's going to be you know maybe half a little less than half would be available but hey this is a step in the right direction like I'm so excited at the potential that this could be open and we can start getting back to normal dining is still outside but these are wonderful wonderful steps towards that and it makes me so happy so if you live in the state of california and you are near the disneyland resort i hope you get an option or the availability to get in there and check it out i have been wanting to go to downtown disney i know that california adventure is doing that like that day of Disney where you get to do somewhat like the, I wish you could see my air quotes, like the um, food and wine festival, something like that. And I know you can walk into DCA and, and dine there and all of that stuff. And I've been wanting to do that really bad. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of travel restrictions when you get into the state of California. And so it's just been advised not to do that. And therefore I just haven't, I would just hate to go over there, even though it's not that far and be, you know, limited or not be able to go at all. And especially me getting my hopes up, which I would. So I'm just trying to be really patient and I'm a little, um, I'm a little on the fence here. There is a part of me that just wants any taste of Disney and I'm very anxious to get there, even if it's very limited and, and all of that. Um, but like I said, travel restrictions are, you know, they're still sensitive about it. But then there's the other part of me that will have a hard time going on property and being so limited. I want to be on property when I am free to go anywhere and 
appreciate again the beauty that is the Disneyland Resort. So that is my thing. But anyways, that is the update from this week. I'm super excited. Hope we get some more news as the weeks progress. So in today's episode, I'm going to pick back up on my planning Walt Disney World. I kind of put that aside for a little bit because we had other things going on. But previous episodes, I talked about kind of overall planning what I've done so far, like how I figured out which theme parks I wanted to go to, how I figured out which resorts I wanted to stay at, and then the transportation, which transportation is changing just because I know they're doing away with that magical express bus in 2022, I believe. I think it goes through this year and then it is done after that. But we talked about minivans and Uber and things like that, which fits right into there. And then they're still going to have their internal bus system. So today I want to talk about dining. So this is a big topic, okay? So this one's going to be probably a little lengthy because there was so much to consider. So first and foremost, the biggest question I think people have when it comes to dining is to do or not to do a dining plan. And that seems to be such a huge, huge question. And I have watched so many videos and listened to podcasts and read reviews on the dining plan. And I'm telling you, it is all over the board. Now, my gut tells me I want to do it. It sounds really awesome. I want to be able to have prepaid for a dining plan. So let me just give a little quick thing about a, a dining plan in case someone who's listening is not familiar with it. Now at this moment at Disney World, dining plans are not available. That will change because that is a huge deal for them. So we're going to just talk about it like we're back to normal. So you have this. So a dining plan um, is a package that you purchase in advance that gives you meal credits uh, for dining when you arrive and you purchase it for the length of your stay and for the people in your party. And there are different tiers of dining plans. So you can have one as low as like snacks where you get, you know, like three snacks per person a day. You can go kind of middle of the road where you get like a table service. That's where you sit down and a waiter or waitress comes over and takes your order. And then um, also snacks. And then you can go like big time where you get three or more um, actual quick service and or table service and snacks a day. Like this would be the we are going to eat some food kind of plan. So, of course, they range very much in in cost and everything isn't available on the dining plan or isn't exactly a one for one. So some examples, there are snacks that are available with your meal credits that you would get on your dining plan. And I believe they are marked on the menus as the options that you can get. So I've never heard really anyone complain about not being able to find something that they like. So that really doesn't concern me too much. Um, quick service is a, um, that's where you just go up to a counter and you order it and you get it like cafeteria style, if you will, where it usually comes on a tray at the counter and then you go and find your seat and you sit down and you eat. And 
Those usually include a beverage with your meal that you're getting. And then table service, like I said, would be where you would sit down and a waiter or waitress would wait on you. But the challenge with those from a, a dining plan perspective is some meals, some restaurants rather, maybe two dining uh, credits. So you may have purchased on your dining plan three table services for the day because you plan on eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner at a table service. Let me just throw that out as an example. But this restaurant to eat there on the dining plan is two meal credits just for one meal. So you would have wiped out two of your meal credits for that day. Now, it, it is not that they are doled out by day, so you can certainly rob Peter to pay Paul, as I like to say. So you could, you, if you have 15 meal credits for the duration of your stay, for example, and you take two for this dining experience that you really want, because you want to eat at this restaurant, and it just takes two of them, then you can do that. You can budget accordingly. But it is just kind of a bummer that some take two. So it's not always a one for one. Now, the alternative to that is the food itself may be a little on the higher end, hence the two meal credits. So the, the, the challenge in this dining plan scenario is determining if you would get your money's worth when you purchase this in advance because you buy the package before you arrive and then you have these meal credits for the duration of your stay so on one hand the pro there is dining is taken care of and of course you could buy more so let's say you went really conservative and you said oh i'm just gonna do three somethings a day whether that be you know i can have a snack one snack i can have one table service and i can have one quick service just throw that out there and then you get there and you're like, whoa, that was too conservative and we wanted to eat more. So we doled out more money out of our pocket. There's no harm in that. You just partially prepaid for some of your meals. Some people are very experienced at it and know exactly how many. Many people will go too far the other direction, right? They buy a lot of, they buy a more upgraded plan and then they are like rushing at the end to use up these credits and they're like filling their suitcase with all these random snacks because you don't want to leave any credits on the table. That's like leaving money on the table where you didn't spend it and nobody wants that. So people, I heard so many stories about people just like going crazy on the last day and just buying all these snacks to use up these meal credits they didn't end up using. So I mean, that's a pro and a con, right? I mean, that's a con because you're doing all of that at the last minute, but eh, it's not that bad. I mean, I've heard of a lot worse things than to have to buy a bunch of snacks. So it's just trying to find that right balance. So that's one thing to consider. Of course, price is another. You have to look at the menus, which is what I did, and trying to figure out, will I get my value? And that's really where people are on the tipping scale, Right people will give you their review and say, I didn't really save any money. In fact, I may have lost money because, you know, maybe this steak or this salmon was was available on a meal ticket credit when I went to this restaurant. And it was, let's say, $30 for this steak. I'm just giving some random example here. But if I was going 
by if I was going without a dining plan, I probably would not have ordered that $30 steak. I would have maybe ordered a sandwich and split it with my husband and that would have been maybe $20 for the both of us. So in essence, yeah, I ate higher end things, but if I looked at what I would have spent versus what I did spend in the dining plan, I didn't really save money. Other people look at that differently and say, it gave me permission to eat some of those higher end things or I would have ordered that anyway. In fact, I would have maybe spent more money getting some of these higher end things and when I used my dining plan, I ended up saving money. So it's a mathematical problem that you have to kind of figure out. Another thing to consider is your picky eaters, which I have one of those. So then it's like, I've got these meal credits that I've paid for her, but all she's gonna have is the, you know, 9.95 chicken nuggets every single meal or the very simple things every single meal, but I paid the equivalent of 20 or 25 in when I did table service and she's not really using that. So that's something to consider. That said, as I was doing my planning and my research and my experience with my daughter is, yeah, she's a picky eater, but chicken nuggets are not available in every place. But what is available a lot of the places is steak. And she is a steak eater and that is more expensive. So that actually would be a benefit for us. Um, she does like things like spaghetti. She does like chicken. So it could work out. It's just something that I, I had to put into my planning and looking at some of the places that we would have eaten um, or we would plan to eat and what are the options that are for her and would it work out. For my husband and me, it would work out very well and my daughter on the snack arena, it would work out very well because we all like snacks and those things can get pretty pricey. So that was dilemma number one was to do the dining plan or not. I did decide my first time out of the gate not to do it because I had never been before. I wanted to get a feel for what the options were, where were the places that we would eat at, and I'm going to go over the list of places that I chose, but I wanted to kind of get a lay of the land before I went to that. I felt a little disappointed by that, I'm not going to lie. I really, really wanted to use a dining plan because it sounded really cool. But now let's talk about some of the dining options. So here's what I did. I watched a ton of YouTube videos on dining experiences and I took a note in my notebook, which I have right in front of me, and you might hear the pages, and I wrote down, okay, these things at this location have really good reviews. And so first I did it by resort, or by theme park, I should say, somewhere by resort. And then I made a full list of where I wanted to go. So let me give you some examples. So a character breakfast was in the works. My daughter loves them, they're really cute. But from my research, not all character breakfasts are the same, right? So the place I really thought I wanted to go didn't have the best 
reviews, and that's Chef Mickey's over in the uh, Contemporary. It looks like the coolest place ever. It's on the monorail route. It's in this beautiful location, but review after review after review did not have great feedback. And so I was like, well, it's kind of pricey, and do I really want to spend that money when it doesn't get really good reviews. And at the time I was doing research, I mean, we're talking like $160 for us to go. And I'm sorry, I need to pause. I need to go back to the dining plan really quick. I should point out that the dining plan is just for meals, but you, gratuity is extra, so you definitely wanted to plan for that. Sorry, I saw that when I was flipping this notebook and I thought, oop, I better say that. So anyways, Chef Mickey's was rather expensive and I didn't want to spend all that money for something that was mediocre at best or based on the reviews. Now, there's probably some diehard Chef Mickey's out there, and if you love it, that's fantastic. Just in my research, the scales, scales tipped more to not loving it. But I wanted a character breakfast, so then I searched by character breakfast, <laughs> character breakfast to see who had good reviews and who were their characters and so where I landed was at Ohana which is in the Polynesian because of two reasons a it had really great reviews and b it had stitch and my daughter loves stitch and so I thought winner winner chicken dinner we're going to Ohana that gives her an opportunity to do the character breakfast I love breakfast and the food gets pretty good reviews. I do understand that um, Ohana maybe gets better reviews for like dinner and stuff like that. But what I was trying to accomplish, breakfast was just perfect for her and for us. We would find things that we liked and she'd get to see Stitch. So that was how I chose where I was going to do a, um, a character breakfast. Then I started looking into other special items because, you know, I am a fan of doing special events. I didn't want to do a ton because it's already expensive to go to Disney World, but I wanted to look at some of those um, special events and figure out which ones I wanted to do. So two things that came to mind from a dining experience was um, Cinderella's Royal Table, which is in the Cinderella Castle where you meet Cinderella. And then when you're there dining, there's a bunch of princesses that come around. And then Be Our Guest, which is absolutely beautiful as well. And you may get to see the Beast and Belle and things of that nature. When I did my research and when I listened to reviews, Cinderella's Royal Table gets really high reviews for being in the castle and having that experience, but not high reviews on the food. And I hear more times than not that it is way overpriced and not worth it. If my daughter was a ginormous princess fan, because the print there's like four princesses through the entire evening, and it's like a prefix menu, or it was pre-COVID, then you could have some really great interaction with these princesses. And if she was a huge princess fan, this may be worth that price. She's not. I'm a Cinderella fan, and more than anything, that's really what I wanted. And you only meet Cinderella when you're coming into the castle. So to me, that was, ooh, I would love to do it, but that might be a little way over our price range for not getting, not really checking a lot of boxes. Be Our Guest would be a little bit different in that 
it was beautiful inside. It got much better reviews for food, and it really wasn't as much about Belle or the Beast coming around to your table, per se, and it's not like she's a huge Beauty and the Beast fan, but just the ambiance and the experience may be more um, in line with what she would like and what we would like. So that was like, okay, maybe be our guest would be the better option if I'm going to do that. That was in the maybe section. Then there were things like the Hoop-dee-doo review, which is this hoedown kind of thing over in the, um, why am I drawing, I swear, I prepare for these things and then I completely draw a blank when I come and talk to you. It's at the Fort Wilderness Resort. And so in all my research, everybody loves this review. It is so popular. The food is barbecue. It's all you care to eat. The food has such high reviews, not mediocre, like over the top high reviews. The show is entertaining. If you sit on the floor near the stage, you could be part of the act more times than not, but there's a lot of seating up a little bit higher. So if you're not really with a group of people that would want that, um, you have other options, but I hear this is amazing. So that to me was a must do. Had to go to the Hoop-dee-doo review one day. So a couple other things that I looked into was a dessert party over at Epcot. And here's why I was on board with that. It was like $50 a person, and that seems really excessive for... Um, dessert, but it came with VIP showing to the um, fireworks show, and then they it was a frozen dessert party. I forgot that part. So it's frozen dessert party. So after the fireworks, they walk you over to the frozen ride where you go onto the ride. And to me, this was so worth that money for all the things I mentioned. Number one, that frozen ride, I heard had really long wait times. So to have something that gave you like a walk on experience was worth it. Desserts, I mean, you know, they seemed like the reviews on the desserts were average to good like there were some really great dessert options and then there were some that probably would be really sweet or maybe a little more processed tasting um, but I know that my daughter would enjoy it and I know my husband and I would enjoy it plus you had this special seating area to watch the fireworks and I mean this just felt like such a win-win situation and I looked at all different kinds of parties like that dining packages where you watch this show and you ate here and those kinds of things and I just felt like the combination of the fireworks and walking onto the frozen ride plus dessert was worth that as a special occasion so that was on my list so those were the big ones at, um, so far. So just to recap, I wanted to, to do hoop de doo review. I wanted to do a character breakfast at Ohana. I wanted to do the frozen dessert party. And then something that I toyed with but then took it off my list because I really wanted to do it, but I just didn't think it would be worth the value for us. And my picky eater was a luau kind of event over at the Polynesian. So I took that off. So that was my special... Um, events and again lots of YouTubing lots of Google for reviews to kind of see what people thought was great then I decided ooh, do we want to do that monorail 
loop. Like I wanted to build in days where we didn't go into a theme park. And on those days, maybe we'd go look at a resort that we weren't staying at or didn't have any sort of reservation at, just kind of check it out. Or maybe we'd just stay at our own resort and go by the pool, whatever. But maybe we would go on the monorail and hit the hotels or the resorts on the monorail loop and do some of that dining options there. And I wrote down things that I needed to try watching reviews of people who did this. So like, for example, example, I can speak on um, the Grand Floridian. I heard really great reviews about this Reuben that was at Gasparilla's over there. And I thought, ooh, that I wrote that down. Like, ooh, I may need to check that out. And then at the Polynesian, I had heard at Captain Cook's, there was Thai coconut meatballs and pork fried rice that was really really popular so I wrote that down like oh we'd have to try that and then at the contemporary I had written down at the um, Contempo Cafe which I get a lot of mixed reviews on when I do my research but there was this caramel banana cupcake and this chocolate peanut butter cupcake that got really great reviews but this is an example of how I did my research I researched two different ways here people that did the monorail loop and also restaurants within these resorts that are on the monorail loop and got reviews of certain specific items and restaurants so I could make that list and figure out how we would do that so I wanted to do that then I started doing research on just popular food stops within the theme parks and Disney Springs and the resorts. And I just made a long list of those items just to have in my pocket because we weren't necessarily going to do the dining package. And some of these would require reservations. So I wanted to, you know, have my list so I knew what to do. But the like the shows that I talked about, those definitely required reservations. So I would have absolutely done that in advance but um like one of the things in disney springs that i hear wonderful things about is um homecoming from um art and his last name is escaping me because i can't remember anything right now and he has like wonderful fried chicken over there the chef and that is a really popular place so i wanted to make sure that I got that on the list and I knew that would be challenging, but that was like a must do because we all love fried chicken. Yeah, it's Art Smith is the um, the chef and I, I've seen him on other things and people just rave about that. So I definitely wanted to try that. Um, there are some other places here on my list. Um, there's a diner in Hollywood Studios. Diners are great just because burgers, fries, chicken, those kinds of things are readily available. There's, um, I'm just trying to see if I can find another place that has, that I wrote down that was like must, and there really isn't, I mean, there's a lot in front of me, but just, that was just a couple of examples. Um, again, I have another page of places to eat by resort so that I could, if we were there, I could have, um, you know, I could go to those particular restaurants. There was entertainment that I wrote down by resorts when I was doing that, which is, um, I know we talked about some dining options, but there was um, some other things that we would look at that maybe were, more, that didn't include food, and I'll do that for another time. 
but just really try to grab those places that were that would require reservations in advance that had really high reviews and then putting this into my agenda like how does this flow so I know that I wanted to be at this theme park on day one and let me look at my notebook and what were some of the um, must eat places from that theme park that I wanted to go I wrote that down is there anything here that requires a reservation let me put that on a separate page so I can make my reservations and I just went it that way day by day to kind of understand where we would be and then make those reservations in advance for those things that I must or wanted to really do and hoping that I could get this done. Now, for me personally, I was going to use a travel agent because as I've mentioned in this podcast before, I actually got my own travel agent license so that I could be a travel agent for Disney. I just haven't really done that yet, but I wanted to experience it Um, for Disney World from somebody who was very experienced there and could really help me. And when I reached out to this travel agent, she gave me, um, she gave me some really great tips and I am going to give her a shout out. She is with Mickey World Travel. I followed her on YouTube for a different reason. And then she, she always did Disney World videos among other things. And then she became a travel agent and she, her name is Jen Brennan at Mickey World Travel and she is awesome sauce. So she and I talked on the phone. I gave her my itinerary. I told her the things that I was thinking about and she gave me some tips. For example, I was going to do and still plan to do the um, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party at Magic Kingdom and then we only that was going to be our only day at magic kingdom like we were going to go to magic kingdom during the day take a break and then come back for the party and she was like no you need another day at the magic kingdom because the mickey's not so scary halloween party is going to be limited on the things that you can ride and just one afternoon before that is just not going to be enough time and she was so right because I know the Magic Kingdom is closest to Disneyland, and I know there's a lot of attractions there I wanted to do, but in my mind, I was trying to budget the timing, but with her help and understanding what benefit or restrictions I may run into, I was able to rearrange my agenda to make it work, and that's why I recommend a travel agent, and that's why I wanted to be a Disneyland travel agent, just because someone who has experience in things that take more time or different ways of doing things may be really helpful for anyone who is going there for the first time or isn't as experienced. So she really helped me with that, and she liked the places that I had suggested, so Um, It was good to run that by an an expert there for Disney World and get her thoughts and opinions. So I highly recommend her as well as using a travel agent. Um, It's no expense to you and they have some expertise that could really help you out. So that is my planning on dining. So just to quickly recap, I would highly recommend that when it comes back up, you do some research on the dining plan programs and see if that would work for you. But that research includes looking at some menu items and really understanding if it's a good value for you. Um, They 
people who use it all the time absolutely love it. And like I said in the top of the show, some people love it, some people don't. But that's my recommendation. Do some research there. Then I would do research like I did. It takes a little time, but it's really quite fun to start building your list. Like as I'm looking at my notebook in front of me, it's so much fun to see that I would write down a bunch of notes and then I would carry it over to a condensed final list on that topic. And then I would do that again for the next topic and so on. And then towards the end, I would start to build or shape up that agenda and really see how it was going to play out. And then when I reached out to the travel agent, Jen, and she and I talked about it, then I could make adjustments. And of course, as she told me, and I would tell you for Disneyland Resort, you got to be flexible because anything can change. Anything can go awry. And so you have to be ready to be flexible. And so, you know, I'm not going to lie. That would take some coaching in my head, but I was prepared for that. So um, then once you look at the dining options, go by resort, go by theme park, look at menus. I mean, there's so many dining options over at Disney World. I don't recommend necessarily that you go, you know, to every uh, menu within the website. But I do recommend that you go to YouTube and you type in things like top five dining locations, top 10 dining experiences. Google that. People do a good job of doing shows or podcasts or videos on their top picks. And therefore, you're weeding out all the rest of that and you're going right for the top. And if you watch two or three videos, for example, with that same topic, you'll start to see a theme where people over and over again are choosing the same place. Like hoop de doo Review is like on everybody's list. So I was like, okay, well, that's a must. And then if you want to do the, the opposite of that, do the worst, and then you start to see a theme there. Like that's where I saw Chef Mickey's again. So sorry if somebody loves it, but it kept popping up on people's worst list because of the value. Like the food was terrible, but it was so expensive. And even though the Fab Five are there, so you get to see Donald and, um, you know, Minnie, Mickey, and of course the boss, that's awesome. But it's not awesome if you're paying a pretty penny and you're not getting good food, not just average food. Like I just was getting the impression it wasn't good at all. So you definitely want to do your research that way. Be sure to look at things like Disney Springs or day or your resort. Make sure you, when you choose your resort, make sure you are Googling or YouTubing reviews of restaurants at that resort. Because there's gonna be times where you're gonna be like, I don't wanna go anywhere, I just want either room service or go down to the lobby and grab something there or be by the pool. And so it's important to know what your home resort has as well. So I hope this episode was helpful for those of you that are looking into dining. There's so much great information out there. I highly recommend getting yourself a notebook or some way to really keep track, whether you do it electronically or on paper, and just have fun exploring it. It makes you feel like you're there. People do a really good job in giving very specific reviews on the food items, snacks, you know, Google and look at YouTube for the top 10 snacks at Disneyland Resort. Go down to the meal level, best food items options, best snacks, best restaurants, best value, um, you know, just best kid friendly, best non-kid 
friendly, like really get specific in your research and really start capturing those items and then organize it some way because it will be extremely overwhelming once you're there. Now, if you don't like to plan and you just want to go by the seat of your pants, that's good too. It's just not my style, but more power to you if you do that and you probably have some really great options. So what I'm going to do is put a forum question out of my website on your favorite Disney World food items, your favorite Disney World dining locations, and dining packages and I'd love to give you get your thoughts anyone who's been to Disney World and has some some thoughts share it with the rest of us we'd love to hear it so with that I hope you are all being safe and healthy and you're having a wonderful weekend and you have a wonderful week and until next time bye